Let's bow in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be the teacher here and that your spirit would breathe on us life and learnings and energy and vision that might fortify us for the years that lie ahead. And if you will do that for us, Lord, if you will be the teacher, in spite of this vessel, we will give thee all the thanks and will leave the speaker alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> you want some more amplification? <coughs> all right. I have one here. Can you hear me now? That sounds... I've heard that before. Can you hear me now? Is this too low? Can you hear me now? Oh, okay. Well, I hope the Lord heard the prayer, even if you didn't in the bank. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, very um, more anxious than usual about this topic because, <clears throat> as the Apostle Paul said, I don't come to you as one who's achieved uh, but I press toward the mark, and sometimes I don't press all that hard. I feel you know, there's a great risk of uh, feeling a little bit like a hypocrite here, because I think we're going to talk about, hopefully, very, very tough and um, visionary levels of faith. And um, I might be able to articulate it, or maybe we can see it somewhat through this way, but we're all going to have to work on that with our Lord ourselves. Starting with me, I'll just make it very clear that I'm not claiming any great expertise in this area, although I've given it a lot of thought, and I wish I were better, <laughs> if that counts for anything. Uh, I don't want you to open this book yet, but I want you to look at just the front, which says faith. The title is Faith. <clears throat> uh, some people in Mansfield will recognize this. Uh, I, just, I described this once. Did this, this go soft again? Doesn't? Okay. Uh, this is my definition of faith, and as far as I know, it's unique to me, and that might be a bad sign, because I haven't heard anybody else really pick it up and remember it or anything, but it, it means a lot to me, and I see faith as a, as a tipping point in, uh, in the elevation of belief, and about the center of there, there's a little graph that goes, ranges from a, a low of atheists and agnostics to, through devils, rebellious, fearful, and then you'll see a line that says faith. In my view, almost everybody in the world has some level of belief, and, and, and some have a fairly sophisticated level of belief, but they're not Christians, and they're not saved, and they're not uh, part of the body of Christ, and uh, it's probably because they fall below that. So, at, so what has to happen, in my view, is that the, the belief has to rise to a certain tipping point, where belief gets to a certain point and self-determination drops. And at that point, something phenomenal happens that's, that's completely out of our control, and that is the spirit takes over and, and we live in faith, and things happen in faith. And then... Um, you might recognize this if you've made a conversion experience. You were stalled in reaching that point of faith. You were stalled until 
your self-determination was crushed under this stone, right? The, the grinding stone of Jesus Christ. You didn't get to complete a, a, a conversion process until your self-determination was subdued, out of the picture, and then faith elevated. Okay, that's what we understand. Now, now the next thing is, from that point on up, there are probably levels also. I've got it written as believers, disciples, and apostles. We may be able to put in there um, evangelists. We may be able to put in there domestic evangelists, foreign evangelists, um, uh, other, other categories where people are rising to the higher and higher levels of belief, where they are doing some very dramatic and very... Uh, observable and very impressive things. Who, who could read the exploits of the Apostle Paul and not be convicted that, that this, this person was, was way out there, you know, just, just as the, some people say, on fire for the Lord. The, the question to us is, how do we get beyond that level of faith where we've converted, where some people may be I mean, nobody teaches this, clearly. I don't know of a Christian group, especially us, that teaches that's an end point, conversion. But, but even though we don't teach that, do we all sort of operate that way? If you, if you or if your children or if somebody you care about has converted, you're satisfied. And, and you're a kind of, uh, that's all the more they have to do. We don't teach that. I'm not trying to mislead. We teach correctly. But is that the way we act or practice sometimes? And I think the answer might be yes. The other sad thing is, I do believe, as I say in the lower section of this, that, that even believers fluctuate back and forth. I think believers can dip down into the fearful level some. And I don't believe, I don't think we understand that to be the egregious sin that it really is. We don't understand dipping down into this fearful or anxiety level to be as serious a sin as it is. We need to, and we'll, I, believe, I believe we've all done it, I know I have done it, we need to get on our knees and pray in fear and trembling that God would forgive us for having a fearful moment or an anxious moment because it is a massive, it is a serious um, uh, loss in faith. It is, it is a, what's at stake here is whether you really believe the words of, of Christ and God or not. And so we may be fluctuating around a believer in the fearful level like that, but what we what the purpose of this uh, form hopefully is to go uh, up to the higher levels. What I want to do, I'm, I'm taking too much time in describing this. I see you right now. I want to I want to talk a little bit more about um, how we do that after making one more point, and then I would like to open up if there's time to to have a few testimonials about how you have reached some of the higher levels from time to time. Maybe we can't stay up there. Maybe we can. I imagine the Apostle Paul uh, stayed up at that 
highest level longer than most, but I'm not sure he, I don't know how many years of his life we really read about. It may have only been a period of 10 or so, so years, I don't know. Maybe some of the Bible scholars in our audience could, could inform us. Anybody know what the rough spiritual life of the Apostle Paul was, the length? How many years are we talking about? I'm thinking it wasn't, you know, 50 years. There wasn't a lifetime. All right, now with that in mind, and, and the focus is going to be to rise to these higher levels of belief so that we're up in the heights. If you've ever done that, if you've ever been there, and I suspect everybody in this room has been there, you know, maybe only briefly, wasn't it a glorious moment? Didn't your hearts burn within you to be actually useful to the Spirit, to, 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 be, to have that level of belief and to be used? Wasn't that a thrilling experience? Now, from that, that introduction, I want to take you to an amusement park, <laughs> believe it or not. Let's say uh, there's, a, there, there's an after, there used to be an after camp event back in Ohio. Everybody come back to Ohio and go to Worcester for a while, then go to Akron for a while, then go to Mansfield for a while, and then the next day they'd go to an amusement park. So I'm not, I'm not sure that's... Um, the greatest way to end up a big spiritual week, but anyhow, you know what I'm talking about, an amusement park. Everybody knows what I, what I mean. Let's say you walk, you go to an amusement park, and you only walk in about a city block. And let's say in that block you see some kiddie rides. I think in the one I'm thinking of, they had the little kid rides first. And maybe there's a hot dog stand or uh, something to eat. So you go in about that far, and you say, well, this is, this is kind of amusing, you know, this is light and pleasant. So then you leave and you go home, and somebody asks you the next day, what did you think of that amusement park? Well, you would say, well, it seemed amusing, or you know, it was a relaxing place to be, entertaining or whatever. But your answer would not be very uh, emotional, very dramatic. Your answer would be kind of, the person asking you wouldn't necessarily hop in the car and bolt right up to that amusement park. <clears throat> now, let's say you went in all the way into the amusement park, and let's say you got on some of those rides that throw you around and turn you upside down, and loops and thrills, and you know, you think, you're, what am I doing on this, and screaming, and, and, all, and all the excitement. I mean, they are designed to shake you up and give you lots of excitement. That's the whole idea. Near-death experiences and excitement. <laughs> now, let's say that um, the next day, somebody you work with asks that person that went in and had all those experiences, what did you think of the amusement park? Can you see a qualitative difference in their answer to that question? They'd be excited. They'd say, it's amazing. You know, that, that's, that's hundreds of feet in the air. You get thrown around. You've got a neck ache for the next three days. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Now, what's, why am I talking about amusement parks? Running a risk, maybe. But I think it's the difference between if you talk to coworkers at, the believer, at the, this believer level or if you talk to coworkers at the apostle level or the disciple level, or the evangelist level, or higher levels. 
we need, the, I think it's the Lord's intention for us to get more and more immersed into a dynamic Christian movement so that our testimony is more contagious. The language we use, the enthusiasm we show, the facial expression we have is not grudging, yeah, it's an insurance policy, you probably ought to invest in it, have it in your hip pocket and then mind your own business. That isn't going to attract anybody. And that's probably the problem we're having with growth. The, the salespeople might be somewhat bored because they haven't gotten in deeper. They might have said, okay, just conversion, we're just so thankful you converted, that's good enough. Breathe easy. And, and we're not teaching that. I don't want anybody to leave here saying that Weingartner says the teaching is bad. The teaching is great. The practitioners aren't doing it. They're saying, as long as I do this, this, and this, that's taken care of. Check that off the list. Now I'm going to live my life. That isn't it. That isn't it at all. And you may have a big surprise, you know, in, in the end. So now let's talk about ways we can get to those higher levels. And there are people in this audience that know uh, probably some great and dynamic ways. And so I'm going to try to give you time in about 10 or 15 minutes. So be thinking of some direct advice you would give this audience and whoever listens to this CD in about 12 minutes. <clears throat> the action plan as I see it is, is, uh, is sort of concentric circles going out further and further away from you. So let's start with the, uh, the spiritual life of you personally. What I would like I would like us to understand that eternal life begins now. In John 17, 3, he describes eternal, uh, life eternal. He's not talking about heaven here. He's talking about eternal life. This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Do you understand that to be eternal life? to know God and Jesus Christ, is that eternal life? Do you believe that's eternal life? How can you come to that understanding? Eternal life was designed to start right now, here on earth, in your everyday life. You should regard yourself as being living in eternal life right now. What I'd like you to do for a moment is um, you can, I, I wish this form would have been in room 226 because they have a window along the room and you can look out that window and see leaves and birds and natural things. What I would, what I would challenge everybody in this room to do, uh, maybe multiple times over the next few weeks or the next months, is to get off by yourself, and we're going to model it right here, but I want you to do this in like a park or do it in your backyard or do it somewhere like that. We have a beautiful place in Mansfield called Kingwood Center, and I've gone there a number of times. And I sit there, and I look at nature, and I become aware of the, the now. Live in the now. I, I, I don't, I, I, what I want you to do is, is is I'm going to walk you through what I do. Sit down and 
relax as much as you can. Don't have a real tight time schedule. And then I want you to start, and you can do this right here now. I want you to relax, and I want you to start noticing your breathing. Pay attention to the fact that you're breathing. How often do you inhale? How often do you exhale? Pay attention to the temperature. Are you warm? Um, pay attention to the sounds. I hear a baby in the back, which is more than welcome. I hear a fan, an exhaust fan behind me. I hear a rust rustling of papers. I hear a creak occasionally of a chair as you shift around. In other words, be where you are when you're there and be aware of it. And understand that God has given you a life. You are basically a large mammal that God has given a life to and a spirit and a soul, of course, too. And that he wants his Holy Spirit to be active and driving this whole thing. But understand that this is a gift and you have it for a certain length of time. And get a more spiritual understanding of what you're here for, who you are, and what you're to do. And recognize that you're in charge, you're piloting your life. Be aware of it, be thankful for it, be sensitive to it. Um, if you look at a, a leaf, a leaf isn't just green. There are like five or six shades of green in one leaf. There's darker greens around the creases, maybe on the edges. There's lighter greens, maybe almost a whitish green or a yellow green. There's both of those on every leaf on the trees that you're going to look at. In the chapel up there, they have a, a window that shows some things, but you have to look really hard to get through this artwork that's pasted on the window. They've got what looks like stained glass painted on the window, and the artist, who probably considers himself or herself a clever person, and it is clever, it's beautiful, but the panels are solid colors, sort of childish compared to God's handiwork. And you have to sort of look through this, and there's a couple panels that are closer to clear, and if you look through those, you can see the marvels of God, the trees, the limbs, the butterflies. Sit out, sit out on a bench some and, and watch the ants go by. Have you noticed that ants don't just kind of go steady in a smooth run? They go boop, 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 like that. And they don't, they don't work too efficiently. They don't go in a straight line from the food source back to the They're wandering all around. They're wasting a lot of time. They could do a lot better if they'd only, you know, drawn a line and, and marked it out. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of redundancy and a lot of waste in creation. And why? It's just living. It's just, it's just living, wandering around, experiencing things. Bees are fascinating to watch. It's like they can sense before they even get to the flower that there's no pollen in there, Somebody, another bee had just been in there. They don't even stop there. They go and find one where the nectar might smell stronger than they go in there. And if one comes out there, then another one doesn't go there for maybe uh, 30 seconds or more. 
you know, they go to the other ones, and then eventually a, a bee will go to that one where that one went after enough pollen has, has oozed out of the plant again. They don't wait, you know. It's just phenomenal to stop yourself, slow yourself down, and be aware of what God has given you today and now. Be more aware of it. Um, I think this is part of making you a more thankful, a more inspirational Christian. I think it's part of making you more peaceful, more content. You know, this could be a whole forum, just this subject about contentment. It, it, isn't, it, isn't, it isn't based on conditions. As a matter of fact, um, Brother Dave in the class I taught was talking about murmuring uh, that he taught in a class a few times before. And he said, we murmured, a thought occurred to me, and I want you to think about this, if it um, makes any sense to you. I, I would be willing to toss out there that, that nobody murmurs in adversity. The only time people murmur is in prosperity, or ease, or comfort. In the heat of the battle, you're too, you are literally caught up with the now then. If you're being persecuted, and you're being you're having your teeth knocked out, as Brother Dave illustrated, and you're you know you aren't you you're not murmuring then. You're you, the, the now is imposing itself on you too much right there, but you are probably in a very strong spiritual state right then. And you know we can hear testimonies about these people that were thrown in prison and how what how this there was more time for spiritual things, even though it was great adversity. I'd, I would be willing to guess that nobody murmurs in the trial itself. People murmur in prosperity and ease. But anyhow, that's, um, <clears throat> that's uh, the importance of you getting your own heart uh, at, at peace with, you know, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, your faith in the Holy Spirit and his provision for you. Now, I think also there's a, a lot of instruction in the Bible about being thankful. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What percentage of things in your life should you be thankful for? Would you guess 50%? How many want to go? 75%? Yes? 100? Where did you get 100? That, what, is that maybe what it means by everything? Is that 100%? No, you can only have 100% of anything. <laughs> I'm not a, ma a great mathematician. Where is uh, Dan Monthly? That's a great point. A brother here said you can be thankful for things you don't have. Is that what you said? or you don't have yet. One night, and, I, and I, I'm not holding myself out to be any deep spiritual paragon, believe me, but one night I woke up and, I, and the Lord told me, you know what, you need to be thankful for all the prayers you have never had to pray. I have never had a child dying of cancer. I have never had a child kidnapped. I have never had... Think of all the prayers that you know that people are praying desperately that you have not had to pray. Are you thankful for, okay, that's the, the uh, I see your point. <laughs> Be 
That's what the Lord was trying to tell me. Yes. Be thankful for all the prayers you haven't had to pray. That takes up quite a field, doesn't it? When you start thinking about it, it's another way of being thankful, I guess, count your blessings. But put it that way, how many hours would you have been tied up in desperate prayer if you had a child that was dying of cancer? And you've been, maybe some of you, most of us have been spared that. Another um, a thing occurred to me, and I, and I, get, a, I get a great blessing out of this. Um, whatever wakes you up in the middle of the night, and it's your worst nightmare, your greatest anxiety, your greatest fear, get out of bed, kneel at the bed, and thank God for it. Thank God for that, that worst possible thing. This is radical stuff. And I don't know, I, I, I'd be tempted to see a show of hands of anybody that's, how many have, have done that? But I would like to see next week, next year at camp, that everybody in here has done that over the next year. And here's why. It doesn't remove the problem, but what do you think it does do? What would, what would doing that, what would getting on your knees and praying for your worst nightmare or your worst problem, what would it, what would it do for you? It gives it to God and takes it away from Satan. And it changes you. A great writer, some of you will recognize his name, C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Narnia books, which I found sort of boring, but... Uh, he, he, he said, regarding prayer, it doesn't change God, it changes me. I think that's really true. So this, this is, a, I think, a higher level of faith and thankfulness to actually get on your knees and pray for these, these things you don't like, your anxieties, your fears, things that you're very upset about. Um... One other thing that I think is a, a, another way of climbing up this faith ladder some is to have a very, very active prayer life for others. This has come up all week at camp. This has come up from different sources, uh, starting with Elsa Reinhardt's memorable talk about all the prayers for her and all, and all week. Um, I frequently wake up in the middle of the night, about three or four, and uh, worrying about something or, or whatever, and sitting, sitting with those anxieties of, you know, worry. And so what I've learned to do, and you, probably most people in this audience do this also, what I'm about to recommend, is start praying for people. While you're laying there, just start thinking of people that need your prayers and praying for them. And, and you know what? What do you think happens? You don't. You, very, very quickly, you drift back off to sleep. I mean, you get through some of the list, but you know, I recommend that uh, as the way to the fastest way I know of to get back to sleep is to start praying for others. I suppose I don't know whether that gets boring after a while or what, but but it 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 gets you back to sleep pretty fast. 
Now, and the, the final thing that I want to recommend for rising up to those higher levels of faith where, where you can be more contagious, you would be more excited and enthusiastic, more, more contagious as a Christian, would be to be actually engaged in the work, works affecting others. James 2.16 says, And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? I really think that um, we should shoot for a, you know, a minimum of 20 hours a week of, of service to others or in some capacity or another in, for the Lord's kingdom. Everybody minimum of 20 hours a week. And if you're not willing to do that, you're in the wrong business. You're not, you're not in the kingdom, I don't think. Now that can be, you know, that doesn't have to be 100% of that 20 hours a week in direct contact with people, maybe praying for people, maybe writing notes of encouragement to people, maybe calling or whatever, or whatever you're led to do. Now in this category, I'm going to defer to some experts in the room because we have, um, about 15 more minutes to talk about climbing to higher levels of this faith uh, belief so that the faith gets to the contagious levels where it would be impossible for somebody to work beside you and not be amazed at your Christian faith, not be drawn into whatever it is that's motivating you. That's the goal. And uh, are, there, are there some examples? I gave you some time to rehearse this, so let's, uh, and we'll get a microphone to you. Does that have a short cord? I can take this off. Somebody raise their hand. Now, do this for the Lord and for us. Not, you know, nobody's going to assume you're celebrating yourself. Okay, we're going to do it in a spirit of humility but, and selflessness, but if you have something to share that, that, that makes you a more contagious Christian or somebody you knew, Let's share it right now. Okay, I'm not going to promise that I'll be contagious. But there were six months prior to, to June where... Um, we experienced, or I experienced, struggle. Um, it was, you know, there were things that I wanted in life because I like to plan out life. And <laughs> there were things that I wanted that weren't happening, and we were struggling with it. And things just kept compounding. And I, I um, sorry to my class, I told this story <laughs> in class. And they just got worse and worse and worse. And I thought, and I prayed. And I see other people doing better and getting what it was I wanted. One of them was a job. And I see people that were less qualified. And I thought, and that was just one thing. And I didn't think that was fair. So I got to the point where I just, I usually don't pray like in any stance. I just talk to God all day. That's just how I do it. And I thought, you know, I'm tired of this and I don't want to talk to you anymore. And I didn't talk to anybody else. I didn't talk to sisters in church or anyone that could encourage me through this. I just kept it to myself, and I thought, okay, I am losing faith, or I have no faith, and there's something wrong with me. And 
we were on vacation, and um, we were on the beach, and there was supposed to be a storm coming in. So I sat on the beach. Everybody else left, and I wanted to see the storm. So I sat there, and I watched the ocean get wilder and wilder, and the waves were just coming in, and the clouds were coming in, and the wind started blowing, and the sand's blowing around. And I talked to God, and I said, you know what? I know that I am just a grain of sand. And if you can do all this that's around me, you've got to be able to get me out of this situation. And I left it there. I left it on the beach. <laughs> and I, I am able now to speak to him. And I, I just don't even care about the situations. I have left them all. And I know that day by day, I'll just go through it, and he'll see me through. And I'm not at the point of contagious, but I am at the point where I can speak about it. Okay, thank you. It sounds like um, God hasn't finished with you yet, doesn't it? But, uh, but you're uh, definitely um, um, growing in faith through that experience, aren't you? Isn't it, isn't it uh, difficult when God's plans are different than ours? It's very difficult. Any other? Uh, let's... Maybe we know somebody that, that was, we found very contagious. If you're a little uncomfortable telling about your own experience, we've all known highly contagious people and, uh, who are operating at a really high level of faith. Let's have a couple of those experiences. This really will be an important part of the forum, so I hope you're uh, emboldened to respond to the Spirit and give some experiences. All the experiences are up at the top of the room. Um, I have a friend named Dave who um, I used to work with. He was a service advisor for my uh, work when I was employed. And um, over a few years, uh, he came back into contact with me and it was sort of known that he was struggling with different things. Nobody really knew exactly what with. He would disappear for about four months. Nobody would really see him. He'd be like a hermit. And then basically we started giving him some work and, and just trying to help out with him and his life. And um, just one point where we had a conversation, I was just uh, sharing with him when we were working, um, you know, the the importance of knowing Jesus and, and if he knew Jesus and he he looked at me and says, Mark, people like you and what you guys are doing for me are, are Jesus to me. And, and I, I just felt that was, you know, something that uh, touched me and, and sort of made me, took make me take a step back, but in a way through helping him and through being there for him and and the story's not done with him. We're still, uh, he works with us. And, and, um, but I just see God working in that. Hey, did, let me ask a quick question. What did you tell him on, uh, in response to that exact comment? I, mean, I would think that would make you feel very uncomfortable. What was your immediate response when he said, people like you are Jesus to me? Well, basically, I still, you know, I said, no, 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 but... 
Um, we are called to sort of help out and represent Christ to you, but you know, in order to really help you with, with the deeper issues, you need to know Jesus as your personal Savior, and, and we just, you know, I try to deflect that off, but it was just something, you know, how Jesus said, as, as even Gib, Brother Gib mentioned, you know, you, you gave me drink, and I was, you know, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, and it was just um, sort of, it made me look at that verse in a different way. Okay, um, thank you. I, I, that's the, I think, the right answer. And I would like to think that um, this person could be made to understand that it's the spirit of Jesus in you, not that you're Jesus, and that you are led of the spirit of Jesus Christ. The spirit of Jesus Christ resides in us, supposedly, and to the extent that we obey and respond to that, that's the extent we're going to be contagious, I think. And when that spirit asks us to do some unusual things, it's, you know, you're on the line there, to, and potentially to be even more contagious. Brother Paul, I don't want to share a, a specific personal experience, but I do want to say that um, a passage of scripture the Lord has really impressed upon me in my life is in Matthew 17, uh, verse 21, when he speaks about the grain, the mustard seed, and um, why the disciples could not cast out the demon. Then he says, Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And I think it's been the experience of many people um, that through the time of prayer and fasting, we draw close to the Lord. And as we speak about faith this afternoon, I'm thinking about closeness to the Lord. Uh, being closer in fellowship, uh, aware of his, uh, his speech to us, and, and so forth. And so I think that I, found, I find prayer and fasting to be seasons when we can draw closer to him, and I believe that has an impact in our personal lives. Thank you. I think that's excellent. I think the, um, that reminds me of something. If you, could, if you could imagine that Jesus was physically standing right beside you, maybe with his arm over your shoulder, that'd be pretty close to the Lord. If you could achieve that level of awareness, even here, I think it would alter our behavior in so many ways. Thank you. Yes. I was reading about someone that lived many hundreds of years ago, and, and the, the comment about this person was this. Many of us love God. Many of us love Jesus. But this person was in love with Jesus. So just like when you're, uh, if you're a guy and you're young in love with a girl, trying to impress her, thinking up all days, way to be with her, ways to do things for her, or if you're a girl in love with a guy that you're trying to woo, uh, it, it consumes all your thoughts, all your creativity goes into finding ways to express this love and to come closer to this person and to woo the affections of this person. I, I find that a very different concept than, uh, than the, maybe the kind of love you have for a brother, where you, you love them and there's nothing that's going to change that love, but it's not this emboldened, impassioned, all-consuming, uh, driving love to, to, to come closer and to, to find a way to have communion with this person. Uh, and if we would fall back in love with Christ and with God, uh, it would drive us to closer levels of communion with him. 
Uh, excellent point. I, the only thing I would uh, qualify there is that um, you make sure that this isn't, this isn't some poetic, uh, romantic notion of Jesus, but the accurate biblical notion of Jesus. And um, it's, it's much, more, much more lovable than any fantasy that we can create about Jesus. And you get the biblical knowledge of Jesus by reading the word and having a relationship with him through his spirit. And, um, it, you know, if, you, if somebody saved you from a, a terrible um, tragedy, let's say you were, you, you, you were a, a roadside bomb went off and you lost a leg and you were bleeding and some good Samaritan came up and, and saved, stopped the bleeding and got you to, a, to, to Tony over here and, and you're patched up again, You'd, you'd have a lifelong appreciation for that person. And that's a, maybe a fraction of what Jesus has done for us. And speaking of Brother Tony. As probably most of you here know, maybe if not all, that my wife and I were separated for a number of years, and I never lost the faith throughout those years that this is not the Lord's will. And really that impacted a lot of my friends who were telling me, I mean, come on. You get over with and go have fun, enjoy yourself, find somebody else, and tell them, no, that's not God's will, and that's not my faith. And, of course, you all know also that the Lord gloriously brought us back together and had a family under, uh, under Christ. And um, I have a friend who was a cardiothoracic surgeon in uh, Yale who talked to me a lot about this. And he said, now, you know, I didn't believe you. I didn't believe that would happen again, and I'm jealous of your faith. Although he couldn't believe himself, he said, I'm jealous of your faith. That's a very good example, uh, excellent example. And I imagine one was, I'm, I'm not sure if I can challenge you. I'm not sure you ever, did you ever kneel down and thank God for, the, for that while you were going through it or after it? During, during and after. You thank God for what you were going through. Okay. Well then, uh, I see one hand over <laughs> Let's have Tony do the next four. <laughs> One of the things that's difficult for me is to get out of my comfort zone. I, I remember a time when Mary Lou was away. I think she was helping her parents. And uh, after the sermon in church, uh, there was a young man who was out in the vestibule. He says, I didn't come in, he says, because I smell so bad. I've been out on the road, and um, I haven't been able to take a shower. And then, and then it hit me, now, what am I supposed to do now you know, with, with this guy? And uh, the Lord told me that what you need to do is to take him home Get him uh, so he can take a shower in your house and um, get his clothes washed, which I don't know how to run a machine very well, but we were able to, was able to do it. And then wondering, you know, how's Mary Lou going to take this when I get back home? <laughs> uh, it, 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 uh, it just kind of hit me, though, that sometimes we think of, of spiritual things that we need to end up saying, but sometimes it's those little actions like that that, that the Spirit urges us to do that we may not feel comfortable with, but yet need to go ahead and do it because when he speaks, we need to respond. Um, uh, I didn't thank the Lord during the separation for the separation. I thanked him for the perseverance he gave me and the faith that he would get us back together. And of course, afterwards, I thank him for his answer to prayers. Yeah. 
And you can begin seeing, you know, in these, like the example of this person from Yale and other things, some of the bigger picture, only, only now. Uh, when I shall behold from heaven all the guidance thou hast given, then I deeply moved shall say, Blessed hast thou planned my way. But what we are trying to be after, and hope for, make it a personal uh, campaign for our lives, is to see that guidance now, not wait till we get to heaven, and have faith in that guidance now. Have faith that taking some unknown person to your home and, and washing his clothes and that will, will, will impact him for life. You know, um, it's like tossing a, a grain of sand on the positive side of a balance instead of the negative side of the balance. If you toss enough grains over there, it tips the balance. It's a lifetime of, of responding to the leading of the Spirit, the prompting of the Spirit, saying this, saying that, writing that note, encouraging that person, speaking to that person, taking that person aside, being teachable yourself, being thankful when people do it to you, and the whole world of, of, of spiritual guidance, uh, it, it begins to resemble walking on water a little bit. When you do some of these things and you're not sure about the impact or the consequences, you're launching out in faith. You're getting up I, I, I suggest to you, you're getting up to the higher levels of belief that go beyond just conversion and faith. And when you're there, not only are you experiencing great blessings, but you are more contagious. You'll be drawing other people. This is how the church grows, through contagion, not coercion. Contagion. And I'm sorry to the people in the other class who are hearing that for a second time. And I think we're pretty much out of time. Thank you all for your support and uh, your prayer support.